We mentioned it last week, and I'll position it to you again today. You know, in light of uh, all that happens in this type of season, we are reminded of the heart and soul of the Christian message. The Christian message centers on Christmas as its beginning and what happened in that event. But this is my thought, and it's this. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. The story of Christ and all that transpired through him coming to uh, this world, life he lived and, and uh, died and his resurrection and, and, and what he began. Why wouldn't everybody want Christianity to be true? Now, I understand if someone says, I don't believe it to be true, but that's a different type of statement that I don't want it to be true. So it may be your background, what type of version of Christianity you were exposed to, maybe in your home, around other people, the church you were a part of, and, and you sort of just have doubts, and I just don't know if Christianity is really true. But I'm not talking about that version. I'm talking about the Jesus version, and it really doesn't have to do with the issue of if it's true, if you got those questions, those can be sorted out and worked through. There's reasonableness to our faith. As I often say, uh, the Christian faith is not irrational, but it is super rational. It doesn't go against reason, but it will go beyond reason. So that whole question of is Christianity true uh, is one question. But th the real question is, I don't understand why everybody wouldn't want it to be true. Why wouldn't you want that which Jesus Christ uh, came to bring to be true. And what Jesus brought into this world and radically realigned the whole world around can be summed up in one word. And that word is the word grace. Grace. Grace is undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. Favor with God. And you can't earn it. It's gifted to you. Grace. What we long and we expect for, what we would hope for with other people when maybe we've, we've harmed them, we've offended them, and, and we'd like to see that relationship restored or whatever it may be. We're, we're longing for grace. And we're longing for that grace from God as well. Grace. As if that event, that brokenness, that sin... That thing that ruined that relationship as if it never occurred. Grace. What a beautiful gift. What a beautiful idea. And at the heart of Christianity, maybe you've been on the outside looking in and trying to figure out the Christian faith and what it's about. This is what it's about. It's about Jesus. Yes, we're going to be talking about that. But it's about what he brought to this world. And that's what we long for. And we celebrate that refreshes us. But it's also something, as we looked at last week, we'll look at again today, it's sort of unsettling too. When correctly applied, though, grace can solve about everything. Whether it's the relationship you have with your spouse that's not going well, whether it's the parent-child, child-parent kind of world, maybe something with your boss. It's, it's the kind of thing grace is 
that really, if it's applied appropriately, can solve about every kind of situation. And that is great. But to understand grace, you have to understand that it can only be discovered and found in relationship. Grace cannot just be plucked off the shelf in some type of vacuum state of existence. Grace is experienced interpersonally. And so, God, for us to understand and to receive grace, God had to show up. It's why God had to show up and why we celebrate at this Christmas season God's entrance into the world. We would have never known the grace of God without the presence of God. We'd have never known the grace of God without the presence of God. Now, we said last week that the gospel writer John, one of the apostles, he was later in years, he had walked with Jesus, he had talked with Jesus, he had saw the miracles of Jesus. And uh, in his older years, they came to him and they said, you know, you probably ought to write some of all that down. And so John, maybe eyesight fading, he got a scribe, a smart person that was able to write down what he would articulate to them concerning the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and what he brought into the world. And so I can see sort of John sitting down with guys says, all right, just let me think through this a little bit. And so he says, okay, he says, uh, why don't you start, start uh, uh, I mean, he has no idea that it's going to be read for thousands of years, right? And he's like, uh, why don't you start it out this way and um, just write, in the beginning. And the scribe would probably go, yeah, I got that. I, yeah, I, in the beginning, yeah, God created the heaven, the earth. And he says, no, 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 not not that beginning, you know, because actually in the Genesis account, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. It also could be translated in the beginning. So like does Genesis 1-1 really begin with the actual beginning beginning? Because there's a ton of questions that we carry in with us when we look at, okay, so God created the heavens and earth, but then what was before that? Was there something before that? Or, oh no, he created that. And so our minds start to explode trying to comprehend that. And then some people say, well, well, who created God? And you're like, you can't ask that kind of question. Who created God? Because if somebody created God, then that person would be God before God was God. And so you your human mind has a hard time comprehending truly in the beginning. Was there a beginning if God's infinite forever existed, whatever? And so Paul, John's wrestling with this, right? And he's trying to say, how do, I, how do I get around this to explain this Jesus? And so he says, in, in the beginning, not the beginnings of the beginning, but in the beginning was the word. And that's Something from Greek that he took called logos, which means ultimate knowledge, all that exists, all that is true. So, okay, in the beginning was the word, the, the, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-speaking. I mean, the word was in the beginning. And so if you look at John chapter 1, that's how it begins. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness. And those scribes were like, whoa, oh, I'm, let me get all this. And, he's, and then he circles back around, and he says this about the word. He says, but the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, usually at Christmas time, and, and we'll go there as we move towards Christmas Sunday and Christmas Eve service, and I hope that's all on your radar to, to be here for those services. Christmas Eve, 5 p.m., bring people. I mean, it's a great way to usher in, you know, the Christmas day and all that kind of thing, candlelight service. Well, we'll talk about what's the traditional, what we perceive as the traditional Christmas story, but here's John in his gospel. He doesn't record any part of that. He just talks about the Word. The existence of knowledge and truth and everything. Who was God? And then God, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. God in a body. A human body. And why did that happen in that Advent season 2,000 years ago? Because God needed to radically realign this world and the mess that had become through sin. And he needed to realign it, flip it upside down in a different kind of kingdom. And the one word that could be described as to what he was going to do had to do with this word, grace. Grace. And the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And we who... Not you, but we, Paul says. We, man, may be the, the guys and the, and the ladies that we've been journeying with. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Full, full of grace and truth. And I loved how we just sort of framed it up last week. And I've actually been using this week as I've been interacting with people and, and not just celebrating the Christmas season, but seeing God work in people's lives. It was full-on grace and full-on truth. Not a balancing act, a little bit of truth, a little bit of grace. No, Jesus was full-on grace, full-on truth. Jesus never watered down the truth or turned down the grace. I don't know about you, but when I look at our world today, that would be really good. Full on truth for our world, but full on grace. And part of the problem in our world today is, is they don't know the word grace really or understand how that comprehends. A lot of times we don't. But they're just, oh, just be nice or be kind or be accepting to one another. And you're like, well, accepting, but then this is wrong and that's wrong. Friends, full on truth, full on grace. If that's what you think the world needs, then you know that the world needs Jesus. Because he didn't mince words. But he didn't mince or diminish grace. And he radically realigned this world through his kingdom. And that is what Christmas is about. Jesus was all grace and all truth all the time. And I tell you what, if you're seeking to let Jesus live in your life, then there's good news. All on truth, all on grace, that's a part of the spirit that dwells within you. So you're a parent trying to work with your teen son or daughter, and, and you just say, Lord, 
You dwell within me. How do I navigate this? All on truth, all on grace. May, may I navigate this well. Not the balancing act, but your spirit working through this situation. Maybe it's a work environment and you're like pulling your hair out and where is this thing going to go and somebody needs to speak up or do something, but yet at the same time you can understand why the situation happened. All on truth, all on grace. It comes from God himself and we would not know what it was if it was not for the Christ event of Christmas when the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. So if you take the life of Jesus and you begin to look how he interacted with people, you would see this tremendous, I don't know if I want to call it a character, a personality change of those around, but they were longing and looking for someone. And when you look at the life of Jesus and his disciples observed this life, they were taken back by the all on truth and the all on grace. And the stories recorded of uh, Jesus as he's out with his disciples one day. And it says this in Luke 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho was a, a smaller town, size of town. It was outside of Jerusalem. There's ruins there today. And I remember when I went there once when I was a, a young adult. We rode bicycles through Israel. It was one of my great privileges and joys when I was a young adult. And I, I remember Jericho because on bicycles we sort of had to make our own food. We had our food wagon, and we were throwing frisbees in Jericho with some of the uh, kids that were from Jericho. And those frisbees is what we ate on. So we'd eat our food on the frisbee, clean them up, and then we would play. So I have this image of Jericho and where it stands outside Jerusalem and and the, the uh, ruins that are there now, but. I, you know, the beautiful thing, and some of you had a chance to go to the Holy Lands, to Israel and stuff, you, you, it just dials into you these things you read in Scripture, such as this story, like, oh, wow, there's really a place like that, and it's there, and Jesus would have walked here, and maybe not on this dirt, but on ruins that are down underneath, and you're going like, whoa, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself walked this area, Jericho. And the disciples observed it. Luke observed it. He was meticulous in how he recorded the, the happenings of Jesus Christ. That's why you find, you know, uh, places and, and, and dates and, and, and other kinds of events around there because the context is an extremely strong historical book, the Gospel of Luke is. And it's never been contradicted by any archaeological uh, find. In fact, the uh, Bible actually instructs archaeological finds a lot of times. But here's Jesus. He's passing through, just passing through Jericho. And wherever Jesus went, there was sort of this following that started to come along with him. So it says this, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, what this means is somewhere Zacchaeus, he had gotten approval from the Roman government, uh, a letter, whatever, local, that he could collect taxes 
And it wasn't just that he was a tax gatherer, like we looked at Matthew last week. He was a chief tax collector. It was sort of like a pyramid scheme. So he had people that collected taxes, and they had people that collected taxes, and it all worked its way back up. And they gave a certain uh, allotment of money that Rome was expecting, but then they would sort of keep some of the cream off the top and do some other charges. And and he had all these tax guys working with him. It was called uh, tax farmers. And they were like out along the the roadways, the inner intersections or down along the shoreline and they would charge taxes sort of like maybe I don't know uh, toll booths or something right so they're collecting all these taxes Zacchaeus was known as the chief tax collector so he's at the top gathering this in everybody in that that smaller town of Jericho would have known who he was but he did not come with high regards and here's Zacchaeus he is in this situation it's recorded of him in scripture and it says this he wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short and could not see over the crowd. So he wanted to see Jesus. He knew he couldn't necessarily meet with Jesus. So here's Jesus and, and sort of his entourage. And he runs ahead of him. And he's trying to figure out how he can see Jesus because he's a rather short guy over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. Now this is probably sort of an awkward moment, a grown man climbing a tree, climbing a tree and what the men wore that day too. I, you know, just sort of an awkward moment. What's the little guy up there in the tree for and what's he doing? He, he was just wanting to see Jesus. All right. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, I mean, you guys, if you grew up in church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Nobody would write that type of thing today. Uh, and a, a wee little man was he. He climbed up a sycamore tree, wanted to see. And see, you guys are good. Those of you who didn't grow up in church, you're like, what are they doing? Weird. Zacchaeus climbs up this tree. The disciples are with him. you got to see the little parade happening. And there's some people who had gotten there early. They'd gotten there early to take their seats. They got the curb thing. Maybe they brought their lawn chairs. They're sitting there. You know, they got the T-shirts on. They got the signs. Jesus is coming here, right? And Zacchaeus, he climbs up a tree. And these other people are just like, oh, there's Jesus, that kind of thing. And Jesus stops. He looks up the tree and he calls Zacchaeus out and he says, come down immediately. And they're like, what? Jesus, don't do this. Do you know who that guy is up in the tree? You shouldn't be giving notice to him. Look at all of us, man. We showed up early. We're, we're, we're the ones that are champing you today. Jesus said, I must stay at your house today. I go, oh, come on. We weren't even going to get to see him, and we've been doing all these things right, and you're, you're going to go see him? What do, you, what do you got going on with you, Jesus? Come on, can't we just pass through, let this thing go? So all the people saw this, and they began to mutter. Isn't that a good word? I'll bring that one back today. Muttered. Muttered. Just like last week with Matthew, they were complaining outside. Um, When Jesus went in to be the friend of that sinner, here's Jesus again. Upside down kingdom. 
unsettling it is what he's doing. He's changing the culture. You need to ostracize him. You see, I think they first thought when he called him out of the tree, they went, oh, good deal. Now he's finally going to get called out by Jesus for all that he's done wrong. But then Jesus doesn't call him out. The crowd backs away, silence in the moment, and Jesus said, I want to come to your house. And that's where the muttering started. What do you mean? What do you mean he's a refugee? You know who he is. You can't be doing these things. And they see he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus had a hard time trying to communicate the upside-down kingdom that he brought through his entrance into this world. He had followers all around him. They had the old religious system, the way things were they were done. It was the merit system. You sort of earned favor with God. You worked your way in over the period of time. You had to do certain rituals. You had to obey certain kinds of laws. And that's how you had right standing with God. And definitely those people who were on the outside, those sinners, those people that are, were violent or they were just indifferent, you were supposed to ostracize them. They weren't supposed to be a part of the network of this group. And even when Jesus came then, there were the people going, hey, we followed him around, we listened to his teaching, we'd always think. And, and then, what are you doing, Jesus? They're a sinner. They owe me money, even. Jesus had a hard time teaching about the kingdom of God. And so what he did on often occasions is he used parables. Some of you are familiar with parables. And so Jesus, there was a time when he was with another crowd of people and he taught them a parable. And you can always know it because it sort of starts out like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like. And a parable is a fictitious story whereby Jesus is going to present a truth and the truth is sort of hidden. And so people sort of like the parables. In fact, Jesus was known as a master communicator, a master teacher. And he taught in stories a lot because you hang with stories. You were just hanging with the story of Zacchaeus, right? A little bit. You're picturing it and seeing those kinds of things. And so Jesus, he, he taught with parables. And in the parable, um, there's two things you can always look for in a parable. One is to find God in the story. And the other is to find you in the story. And these stories would be, uh, though fictitious, they actually reflected upon truth and reality in the here and uh, now day and world. And so when Jesus starts into his uh, parable stories, it sort of would draw people in and they go, okay, let's see where this one's going. Hey, this is, this is pretty good. I was putting uh, my son Levi to bed this week and every now and then he'll just say, hey, dad, what's, what's a good story? So I just sat and made up a story, and we laughed together about this and that. You like stories, and I put him right in the middle of that story. It's one of the reasons he liked it. But Jesus here, he's starting this parable story, and he's depicting something about the kingdom of God, the unsettling truth for almost everything, grace, full-on grace, full-on truth. So here goes the story. Matthew, 10, uh, Matthew 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like, he said to these people, a landowner, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
And so that's, you would find day laborers. They would gather in the public square. You would show up and you would pick out maybe who you needed and you would go and get the project done. Now, the landowner, when the landowner showed up uh, to pick out people, his primary interest was not in the people or the laborers. His interest was in getting the job done. And so in this story, the landowner shows up early in the morning, and the work day in that period of time would have been like from a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, you know, especially if you work construction or other things, or getting some pavers finally laid in my uh, backside of my house, and they show up early, and they start doing all kinds of loud noises, right? And so they're there getting their project, and, and you got workers there, and and uh, this last week, there was, uh, there was a worker who came early, and my daughter phoned me on her way out. because there's somebody outside. I hope they're a safe person. And I'm looking outside, and, and they're on their phone, sitting on a little ledge off to the front. And I know they just showed up early. So they were a day laborer. They worked for the person that's uh, putting in my pavers. And then a little bit later, th- you know, two or three other workers showed up, and they got at it. So this landowner has a vineyard, and he needs uh, people to head to wine country to work in the vineyard. And so he goes to the public square, and he finds a few. All right? He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Now, a denarius would be a sum of money that would equal one day's wages, all right? So he says, hey, will you work for a day, full day, six to six in my vineyard to get the thing done? Sounds like good. So there's a mutual agreement, and uh, they shook on it, and they headed out to the vineyard to work. It goes on. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So the landowner goes back. In the public square, there's still people there looking for jobs, and he's realizing his project maybe needs more, and they're doing nothing. They're doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay, pay you whatever is right. So they went. So he had his 6 a.m. crew. He had his 9 a.m. crew. People listening to Jesus are like, okay, where's, where's, where's he going to be going with this? What's going to be happening? And, and Jesus is unpacking it. And Jesus always took his parables, sometimes to these extremes, to be able to make his point. He says he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. Wow, he's, he's really loading it up. But then the people are thinking, this is going to get a little confusing, isn't it? you got your six amers, nine amers, your noon people, your three, and you're, you're paying them all, but I guess you're going to get that sorted out at the end of the day because they always paid at the end of the day and how they figured it out. So then Jesus, he takes the story with those who are listening and he pushes it to a whole nother level just to see what their response is and to pull them back into what he's trying to teach and communicate. He says, about five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around. And he asked them still, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? To which they responded, duh, because no one has hired us, they answered. Oh, okay. No one's hired you. Well, he said to them, you also go and you work in my vineyard. And so he sent off now several people to work in his vineyard and, and to make good, good on what's happening. And they're there working and they're there laboring 
They're there trying to uh, be responsible to what they were called to. And so the time and the clock's moving on, especially because we had gotten there all the way to the end. And Jesus, it's interesting, you know, with these kinds of stories, you're like, you know, who wrote these stories? Did someone else write him for? I mean, he didn't tell them. I mean, they're so creative and so uh, not just original, but they're so potent in what they're teaching that it could be no one else but someone like Jesus, a master communicator. The, the Pharisees didn't teach this way. Even Paul and Peter didn't teach this way. But Jesus, how he taught with these stories and would pull people in, and they're all hanging there. What's going to happen? What's, go, what's going to be the next place? They're looking for where God's at in the story. They're looking for where they're at in this story. All right? He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came. Oh, yeah. Now, now what's he going to do? Evening came. All right. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Well, this, shoot, this ought to be interesting, you know, because the last ones that were there, I mean, uh, they weren't there very long, but I guess they're going to go first in line. And so they go first in line. And it says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius to which everybody else in the line is going what's up with that what <laughs> and then they started thinking i mean they they went there at five and it took a little while to get to the vineyard and then you closed down at six and so they're i mean they maybe work for a half an hour 30 45 minutes right and they're there and they get this denarius of which the other people thought that they were getting and so then they all get excited and they say to whoa then this must be true it must be true that it's not that we were working for a denarius for a day we we're working for a denarius per hour right so i mean there's excitement happening back the line here as the landowners start starting to give out the dough at the end of the day so when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Huh? What? And, and so they started to have a problem with this, as, as maybe you or I might, right? Because, you know, it's like, you know, we got here early, 15 minutes early. We stayed 15 minutes late. I mean, we worked all day long. We were in the heat of the sun. I mean, we really labored hard. And we were at it. What's going on? Denarius and, they, and the people that just, for a half an hour, 45 minutes, they get a denarius? But each one of them also received denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. We showed up here early. We got the curb. We had the, we had the signs, the T-shirts. We're cheering Jesus on, right, kind of idea. It's like, and, and the tax collector guy, you're picking him? Same kind of feeling here, situation. is we, they, they had skin in the game. They thought they did really well, and they started to grumble because they only got a denarius. But yet, isn't that what he promised to begin with? Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us. You made them equal to us. And, and, and well, we'll, just, we'll just talk about this equal thing because those other people, they're, really, uh, they're, they're, they're not equal to us. Because, well, because they're really not... We'll just leave it at that. They're not equal to us, okay? 
And so the master of the vineyard leaned into them. And he answered one of them. He said, I am not being unfair to you, friend. A little bit of a jab. Hey, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Then take your pay and you go. All right. Is that the way it is? Different situation? I, I don't know. And then he says this in this parable. I want. Oh, so it's not about what I want. It's about what you, the landowner, want. Yeah, it's about what I want. I want to give the one who was hired last, one that came in at the very end, I want to give them a gift to which the person's thinking, yeah, you did. You gave them a gift, that's for sure. The same as I gave you. I don't know. You didn't give us any gift. Well, I guess you did give us the gift of a job, except for that at the beginning of the day. He's probing and prodding them to rethink. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? The landowner says. And then he comes in for the punchline. He comes in for the, the, the real heart of this matter, the, the poignant point of the parable itself. And he says this, Or are you resentful because I am generous? You see, there's different kinds of people in this story. There are the people that showed up later in the day, and they were elated by their gift. But the ones that began to, to grumble and complain, they had showed up early. They were first in the queue. They were first in line. They were there at the beginning of the parade. They were shouting, you know, uh, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. And the people on the other side, we love Jesus more. You know, how about you kind of thing? I mean, you got the people that were there early. And they're cheering and champing on Jesus. And maybe you can find yourself today in that category. I know that I can. It was at a young age that I would seek God. I would read scripture. I'd memorize a lot of scripture when I was younger. I'd be in church three times a week. I've always been there. I've been working hard for you, Jesus. I've been doing well. And then there's these other people that come along and they get in and you're just as generous with them as I guess what you've been generous with me. And you scratch your head a little bit, your heart sinks, you begin to mutter a little bit and you go, I don't know, is that fair? They, they get the same thing as I do. It's just like the person on the cross last week we looked at. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You're like, well, you're a criminal. At the end you get in the same as Peter and, and James and Andrew. And we have that tendency to do the same thing. It's an unsettling thing. But here's the issue. It doesn't make sense to us, does it? Come on now, hang with me. Generosity. Somebody that's generous, why should you get upset with someone that's generous? But here the landowner, he's got arrows coming at him because he's being generous. And he says, 
Are you being resentful because I'm generous? Friends, what's unsettling in the kingdom of God is unsettling generosity. And unsettling generosity is what grace is all about. Undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. And in this parable, it's God who is the landowner, and he's given generously to all. And it doesn't matter how late in the queue you are. You could be showing up at church today, and you could be on your last dying days, for all I know. And you can get in. You're a part of it because God is generous with his grace. And what Jesus Christ did for all of us, he did for you. And he did for that friend of yours that you're not quite sure deserves it. Because God is a generous God. It's unsettling. This kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, flipping it upside down. Full on truth, full on grace. The full on grace is immense generosity and it comes from God himself. And so this part finishes up with this parable. So the last will be first and the first will be last. No kidding. Really? Yes. So whether you're one of the early arrivers in the kingdom of God, or you're a late arriver, we're all embraced equally by God's grace from the one who was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And John saying, I beheld his glory. I saw Jesus operate this way. Whether it was with Matthew and going to his house for dinner and the Pharisees were outside knocking on him for what he did eating with sinners. Or whether it was Zacchaeus calling him down from the tree. Or here in this parable, the late people in the queue, they got the same wages as those who went out early in the day. They saw this. Jesus is an incredible person. The word became flesh. Yeah, we worship Jesus because he became a baby. There's a baby that sat right behind me when I came up today. And it's like a little penny. You fall on a little baby. You think, wow, God in a body. How can that happen? That's incredible. But the story of Jesus is not Jesus the baby. It's Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus the Messiah who flipped this world upside down. And he wants your life to be flipped upside down by his truth and by his grace. And he wants you and I to flip up our worlds with the same unsettling generosity. The first shall be last. All right. Maybe I think I'm a first, but the last, they shall be first. Beautiful pictures, beautiful things. We compare to determine what's fair in our world. That's not fair. We have all kinds of accusations in our contemporary world in the news. That's not fair. This isn't fair. Bantering and bickering with one another. We compare determines what's fair between one person and the other. But grace doesn't compare. And so you cannot go there with grace. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Everybody is invited everybody's invited and everybody's invited this christmas season and everybody enters through the same door which is jesus christ his death his resurrection him coming and giving life for those who will turn and choose to follow him because everyone enters through the door same door in the same way they enter not by their works of righteousness and what they've done or have not done they enter by simple faith in the grace that god has provided for every single human being including your enemy and mine the message of christmas
the unsettling solution for almost everything when rightfully applied. I want to close with a simple prayer. And this simple prayer has to do with an invitation for you this morning. Because maybe you're one of the last workers in. It is by grace through faith that we receive Christ and all that he brings. This simple prayer that's been framed up says this, Heavenly Father, I fall short every day. I need what I don't deserve to be forgiven. To be forgiven of my sin and restored to you. I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both. And I place my faith in him as my Savior and my Lord. Some of you this morning can remember the early 6 a.m. era of your life when you went to work for the Lord. Some of you came in at different stages and some of you are maybe that fifth hour person today. But I'm going to have us just repeat this prayer out loud. And maybe if you were one of the early ones in and you had the t-shirts and the signs and cheering, it's just reaffirmation of what you did many, many years ago when you received God's grace by faith and he changed and transformed your life. This one who's all on truth, all on grace, he wants to come in and live and dwell in your life. You made that decision, but maybe there is an individual here this morning that says, I need that all on truth, that all on grace. I need God's provision of forgiveness and restoration and life. I want to commit my life to Jesus as my Savior and my Lord this morning. And if that's true of you, then I'm going to have you repeat this prayer as well. I'm going to pray for all of us, but I want you to just pray this out loud together, looking at it, all of us together, remembering that whenever you came in, it's all a gift. And we should never get resentful of God's generous grace that's available for everyone. Maybe you this morning who need his grace and a new life to be started. His kingdom is a radical upside down kingdom, but it's not going to make you weird. It's going to make you full and it's going to make you free. Don't listen to the antics of the world or the antics of the devil who say, oh, don't go that way. Don't receive that gift. Don't follow Jesus. You know what Zacchaeus did? He said, I'm going to give half of all my belongings to the poor. And anybody who I've wronged, I'm going to give back four times as much. God changed his heart. Beautiful story. On the heels of that proclamation of Zacchaeus, Jesus just simply said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Because the lost need to be found. Whether you were found many years ago or you want to be found this morning, I invite you to pray with me out loud this prayer. You ready? You just meet it in your heart. It's not the words. It's the disposition of the heart, the yielding to heart, the repentance, the turning from the former life, turning towards Jesus. Repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, I fall short every day. I need what I don't deserve to be forgiven of my sin 
and restore it to you. I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both. And I place my faith in him as my Savior and Lord. Grace is not fair. <laughs> it's unsettling better than fair. Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus, this morning I pray for those who have prayed that prayer for the first time. May they truly receive your life into them, your incredible, unsettling generosity. Lord, no matter which way they've turned, how far they've been from you, what they've done or not done, Lord, your grace abounds. Full on truth, full on grace. God, forgive them of their sins and may your entrance into their life this Christmas season be miraculous indeed taking that which is broken, that which is lost, making it whole, allowing that to be found in you. In your name we pray.